If you have a Bible this morning, go to uh, the book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to start a new book study. And this morning, verses 1 through 7, having confidence in Jesus Christ. And it's so important because uh, even as I mentioned in our prayer request, some of the people that are, that are hurting physically, but we respond to them also, having confidence in Christ Jesus and the importance of trusting God. We're going to see that this word confidence speaks of our assurance in Christ, our trust in Christ, our belief in Christ, and most of all, our faith in Christ. And Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so as we have gone through the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians, and now we come in to the church at Philippi, and basically, Paul wrote four prison epistles. This is his second uh, prison epistle. And Paul had such a love, you're going to see that this morning, and a compassion and, and a drive for the church at Philippi. They were special. Not like the other churches, they were special too. But uh, what happens here, you're going to see. There's a brother by the name of Epaphrodites. And through him, he brought an offering to Paul and to the ministry there in Rome as Paul's in prison arrest for two years. And so Epaphroditus stays with him, and he ministers with Paul. At the same time, he's being a good steward. He wants to see where the money that the Philippians had given, where is it going? And such a love and a compassion because Paul never asked for money. And yet the Philippian church was so open. Now, as we do in a new book study, I love to give a little bit of history uh, behind the city. And then I also like to give some introductions. So uh, let's look at the history of the city of Philippi. Uh, the name Philippi is the Greek word for the city of Philip. Philippi was a city in eastern Macedonia, which we understand is modern-day Greece today. It was visited by Paul the Apostle in his second missionary journey in the book of Acts chapter 16, around 49 A.D. It was interesting there at Philippi. Paul's first convert was a woman by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of purple. Many believe she was a, a, a rich woman because to uh, deal with purple garments in those days was very costly. But probably another character uh, at the church at Philippi, or the city of Philippi, and obviously he came to the church after, was the prison. Paul, remember, Paul and Silas were taken captive for preaching the gospel at Philippi and then put into the dungeon. And they were beaten and were told that at midnight they were put in stocks and they were basically hanging there and <laughs> singing praises unto God. And this Philippian jailer, when an earthquake comes and uh, the, the bars are open, and he assumes that they left. And Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're still here. And that testimony of the Philippian jailer, he says, what must I do uh, to be saved? And he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says his household came to saving grace. And so there's a special place there at Philippi. Now, in this second missionary journey, when Paul is at Philippi, he would always look for a synagogue. 
But at Philippi, there was not enough Jews. By law, there had to have been 10 males in order to have a Jewish synagogue. And when there was not enough to have a Jewish synagogue, usually those that were part of Judaism would go down to the river, and that's exactly where Paul found them. And basically, there were women. And that's where uh, he met Lydia. And though Paul ministered there in such a beautiful way. You can find that in Acts chapter 16, verse 13. But let me give you some background of the city of Philippi. Philippi was situated on a plain surrounded by a mountainous area. Philippi lay about 16 kilometers or 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. The Ignatian Way, the main overland route between Asia and West, ran through the city. Philippi was named for Philip II of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. In 356 B.C., Philip enlarged and renamed the city, which was formerly known as Crinites, if I'm saying it right, and Crinites in the Greek is wells or springs. But Philip resettled, listen, people from the countryside uh, in Philippi, and he built a wall around the city and an acropolis atop the surrounding mountain. And although they, uh, they date from later periods, other points of interest, listen to this, in Philippi included a forum of the size of a football field, an open-air theater, two large temples were there, public buildings were erected, and a library. Also, the Roman baths were very popular. I give you that because Philippi was a prominent city in its day. And you can see the importance that Paul went there to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to some more history. In 42 B.C., Mark Anthony and Octavian, later Octavian uh, becomes Augustus Caesar, combined forces to defeat the armies of Brutus and and Cassius, uh, assassins of Julius Caesar at Philippi. In celebration of the victory, uh, Philippi was made into a Roman colony, and this entitled uh, its inhabitants uh, to the rights and privileges usually granted uh, those who lived in the city uh, of Italy. Now, 11 years later, Octavian defeated the forces of Anthony and Cleopatra in a naval battle at Actium, on the west coast of Greece, Octavian punished the supporters of Anthony by evicting them from Italy and resettling them in Philippi. The vacated sites in Italy were then granted to Octavian's own soldiers and, and reward for their victory over uh, Anthony. So just kind of a background. There's so much more in the history, but it gives you a feel of the city. And I believe it was a a metropolitan city. I mean, people obviously went there. The bathhouses and such, the theaters and such, and the sports arena. So can you imagine at this time? But praise God that the Holy Spirit said, you know what? Let's send the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul did. Paul's ministry to the Philippi, to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. Now, let me give you some introduction of the letter itself, because it's important uh, to see its background. When we speak of the, uh, 
the epistle to the Philippians, the author is agreed by everybody that it is Paul the Apostle, the one born out of due season. But we understand this. It's the Holy Spirit that causes Paul to write this epistle. Oh, man is the instrument that God uses, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Now, the date of the writing is between 61 AD and 62 AD. But remember this, Paul is in a Roman prison, and this is his second prison epistle. But yet he had access to write uh, to the four different churches. Now, here's the theme. You see, many times when Paul uh, dealt with different churches, he had so many issues uh, doctrinally. When you go to the church at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there was a lot of doctrinal issues. But when you come to the church at Philippi, there really was not any doctrines that they were erring in. But the theme, listen, the joy of the Lord because of Christian experience. The Christian experience, the joy of the Lord. And what joy Paul had uh, of the church of Philippi because Epaphroditus or Epaphroditus was the brother that was sent to Paul in the Roman prison with an offering, with money that was collected from uh, the church at Philippi. And it was for Paul and it was for the ministry there at Rome because Paul was ministering uh, to many uh, that would come to a house arrest, we're told. Even though he was still incarcerated, shackled to uh, most likely uh, a Roman guard. There would be other Roman guards. We know that many of these Roman guards come to saving grace. And so Paul used every opportunity. But listen to the purpose of the epistle. There's quite a bit here. The purpose of the epistle was to show believers to live in joy and victory. To promote unity in the body of Christ. To challenge the church to hold on to faith in Christ Jesus. You see, it's no different today. There are those that fall away from the, the faith. Or it's called apostasia. Situations come in my life. and Situations come in your life. And sometimes we, we think, well, it's easier to just to stop going to church. But let me correct that. This is when we need to go to church. We need to run to church. And God wants to hear from us. And so the challenges to remain, to hold on to the faith in Christ. Another uh, issue with the church at Philippi, to abound in love of Christ and to experience, listen, his fellowship. And we're going to deal with that this morning. Now we think of fellowship, breaking bread together, communion, the communion service. We go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, and Paul had to deal with uh, the air of the communion service there at the church at Corinth. But here, Paul's going to be dealing with the communion service concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a whole other teaching, but uh, the experience, to experience his fellowship. Lastly, as we already mentioned, to thank the Philippians for their generosity in giving of their finances to Paul and the ministry there at Rome in house arrest. And another thing that Paul is going to thank them for, listen to this, for prayer. Thank you for praying. 
And so, as a pastor, when I come uh, to the letter uh, uh, to the Philippians, it ministers to my heart. I, I'm, you're going to see Paul's heart even here this morning in these seven verses. He had a love and a compassion and a drive uh, for the Philippians. He heard of their affair, and they heard of his affairs. And they send this brother, this brother with a, a, a lump sum of money, and good stewardship, they sent him along with the money. And instead of reporting back saying, yes, they're using it for the ministry, he stayed there and he ministered with Paul. Oh, the Lord is good. And so let's begin here. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Having confidence in Jesus Christ. And as Paul does in all his letters, he always has this greeting. And pretty much it's almost the same at every church. But it's always encouraging because notice what he says here. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And then he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And then he mentions the leadership with the bishops and the deacons. Paul is writing from Rome. A prison. It's called a house arrest. You can find that in Acts chapter 28 verse 30. Paul is there for two whole years. And so the literal translation, here's the letter from Paul and Timothy, bond servants, the better translation, slaves by choice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says Christ because it speaks of his Messiahship. And then he addresses the letter to who? To all the saints at Philippi. Now what's interesting, the Greek translation of the word saints is hagios. Basically it means holy ones. Now bottom line, those of us that came out of Catholicism as myself, usually a saint is somebody that performed a lot of miracles, signs, and wonders. Mother Teresa, I hear they're about ready to make her a saint, but usually it takes anywhere between five to ten years. They check up your records, they verify it, and such, and that's good. But according to what I read in Scripture, once you come to Christ, once you come to the born-again experience, you're called saints. Now, you want to blow your family? Go tell them you're St. Bob, St. George, St. Mary. You're going to get some, yeah. <laughs> I remember I went home, I told my dad, hey, dad, I'm a saint, get out of here. <laughs> but... Basically, you're a saint. And I like what my pastor used to say years ago. Either you're a saint or you're an ain't. It's up to you. But listen to Paul again. Timothy and I are writing this letter. He says, we're bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the word bondservants, it's the word doulos. And it means somebody that has said to his master, that's enough. I want to rem remain with you for the rest of my life. If you're taking notes, back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we've shared this before. A slave had to fulfill his master for, listen, seven years. But according to biblical law in the Old Testament, after seven years, you had to release him. But there was an option. If you liked, if you loved your master, he treated you right. 
In that seven-year period, you took on a wife. In that seven-year period, you brought forth three or four kids, maybe. In that seven-year period, you were given a piece of property for you and your family. But now everything goes back to your master. And he sets you free. But the option was you could choose to be a bondservant. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 15, the master took you outside uh, to uh, the, the gate, the post of the gate of his house. And he took your earlobe and he placed it there. And he would take this owl. It was a type of nail. And they would push it through your ear. And then he would put a signet ring. And as you went about your business, now you're going to stay with him for life. You're a bond servant. You're a bond slave. Listen, by choice. This was Paul and this was Timothy. You know, we're living in a time in a society, and some of you parents, you understand. Your kids come home. Uh, Mom, Dad, I want to put a piercing in. Mom, Dad, I want to put several piercings in. Well, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but what is the significance? You see, tell me you want to be a slave to Christ. Go for it. Put a piercing in your ear and put a cross. And when people ask you, then you'll be able to give testimony. My dad did that. My dad was already old. He came to Saving Grace. I, I believe he was about 65. And then one day, he heard a study. So he went home. My dad didn't believe in doctors. He took a needle and went for it. And he put a cross. And my mom, oh, my mom was dying. You got to come on. Your dad, he's going crazy. So I go over there. I go, Dad, what's going on? Nothing. He's got this big old gauze that's all red. And he wants to put a cross. He did, eventually. And my mom says, tell him to take it off. I go, Mom, you tell him. You just didn't tell my dad those things. But you know, my dad used that as a testimony. A testimony to witness to others. Because it was a cross. And he would ask them. One of his surgeries that he went to, you know, if you go surgery, they take away all your metal. And they, they were, my dad was fighting with the nurses. They wanted to take that off. He says, No. And the nurses went to the doctor, Mr. Ortega, you don't want to take that off. You have to. He goes, let me tell you why I have it. He witnessed to the doctor. The doctor says, put some tape on it, let him go. <laughs> he got surgery with uh, his pierced ear on. Years ago, we had a, a beautiful brother that was part of our church. And his name was Phil. And Phil was in charge of our youth at that time. And one day, Phil shows up here. He's an elder of the church, and he's got this pierced earring, and it's a cross, and everybody, oh, look at Phil. Look at Phil Johnson. What's his trip? What's going on? And I, said, I went up to Phil. I says, what's going on, Phil? What, uh, explain to me the ear piercing, and he gave me Deuteronomy chapter 15. I says, praise God. He had a purpose. He had a reason. And so today in our society, we see it a lot, but listen to it again. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints at Philippi. And then he says to the bishops and to the deacons. The bishops basically were the pastors or the elders or the presbyteros. And basically the difference here, they're both servants. But the, uh, the bishops were apt to teach the word of God. And basically the deacons didn't have to teach the word of God, but they were both servants. Now the word that's used there as them being servants is diakonos. 
And a diakonos is not as crucial as a bondservant, but a diakonos is one that waits on tables, one that does uh, the work of an errand boy or an errand woman. And you did that by choice, too. And so listen to Paul's heart. Now, if you know anything about Paul, uh, he belonged to the Sanhedrin. Basically, Paul was a doctor of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So Paul had all the credentials, and here he is calling himself and Timothy bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ by choice. If you've never read Paul's testimony, it's found in Acts chapter 9. He was never the same after the road of Damascus. But now notice the next part of the greeting, verse 2. And these were always part of Paul's uh, letters to the various churches. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Scholars call this the Siamese twins of the New Testament, grace and peace. Now it's interesting, you cannot have grace until you come to salvation. And you cannot have peace until you receive God's grace. And it's, you know, it just follows suit. But you come to this place now because you are saved. Grace and peace. So Paul's addressing this to the church at Philippi. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To open his letters to the majority, I would say, of the churches... He writes this position of grace. Now, the word grace, best understood, is unmerited favor. You see, the saints or the church at Philippi, they deserve judgment, but God gave them grace. Paul deserved judgment. Timothy deserved judgment, but God gave them grace. Now, don't let us escape. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But God gives us his grace unmerited favor and because i've come to saving grace he's given me grace and now i come to this place where i have peace i have this peace in my heart now if you've been a christian long enough you understand that peace in your heart but i was kind of reflecting uh before i came to christ my bc days you know we look for peace we want peace. Look at the people in, in the world. They're always looking for peace. And usually uh, there's wars and rumors of wars everywhere. But how do I attain this peace? What about this peace? Remember before you came to Christ, usually, you know, you got a two weeks vacation that you accumulate or maybe three weeks. Or if you're fortunate, you've been with a company, the organization long enough, you might get four weeks. You might get six weeks. And you go, all right, I'm going to go and get some peace, some rest, some R&R. You, you throw all those words in. Well, just recently, during the summer here, we had a family of four. And they were all excited because uh, they were going to take, listen to this, two weeks in Disney World in Florida. Oh, we're going to have fun. I had never seen people come back so miserably burned out. I go, I thought you were supposed to have fun there like this, you know. He wanted to go back to work. See, it was, they came back right when we started vacation Bible school for the kids, and it was like they were zoned out. And they went to Florida, and they paid all that money 
to get peace and to get joy. And like one friend of mine said, you know, you pay $98 in California now to go to Disneyland to get happy. And you come out of there and you're not happy. But you see, we can take all the vacations. We can take all the cruises. We can do everything. So you say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go camping. I'm going to be out in the, the wilderness. And two weeks later, you got poison ivy. Two weeks later, the mosquitoes have eaten you alive. You, you forgot your food, so you've been eating bark for two weeks. And so where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the rest? Where's the rest? When Mary and I go to California and we're there, usually a week or three or four days, after a couple of days, I, we're ready to come home. I'm ready to come home. It's, we don't get no rest. We don't get no peace. We're going this way and that way. But when we come to Christ, he gives us his peace. I want you to turn with me. You should all know this. Matthew chapter 11. So Paul is saying, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood this grace because he came to salvation there in Acts chapter 9. Paul understood this grace now because he knew he deserved judgment. Now Paul understands this peace even though you go through trials and tribulations. I mean, talk about a man of trials. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was chased out of cities. One time he was lowered in a basket. And I mean, Paul, as we shared, him and Silas were, uh, you know, for preaching the gospel at Philippi, they were put into the prison, into the dungeon. And then their backs were beaten. And then they were singing praises and hymns unto God. No wonder the Philippian jailer came to know Christ by their example, by their testimony, by their witness. But listen to Matthew chapter 11. Now, basically, it goes from verse 25 through 30, but I want to just read verse 28. You see, only Jesus can give me true rest, true peace. Oh, the world gives you a rest. The world gives you a peace, but many times it's uh, supernatural. It's plastic. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Church, that's a promise. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, or learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the second time that he mentions rest. So where am I going to get my rest? Oh, am I going to buy a hammock and just kick back with some iced tea? Oh, that's a certain amount of rest. That's rest for your physical body. But notice the rest that he wants to give you. The rest for your very soul. And then he goes on. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, Jesus was using farming terms. A yoke, we've all seen it. It's a, a piece of wood, an apparatus that's built specifically for the oxen. And it would fit just right. Or the oxen would be miserable after all day pulling that, uh, you know, doing the, the furrows and such. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And here's the key. You will find rest for your soul. You see, the word that we see here as peace is better translated 
quietness and rest. And you see, I can only find that quietness. I can only find that rest. I can only find that peace. Listen to me. In Christ. There's a man by the name of Whitaker. You maybe read about him about five, six, seven, eight years ago. He won a big lotto. Somewhere around the neighborhood of $358 million. And I've read about him since. The man is miserable. And so everybody thinks, oh, I'll find my quietness, I'll find my rest, I'll find my peace if I can have all the money, if I can hit that lotto, whatever it might be. See, we always look for the, basically it's temporal. But this man writes, since he won that money, he lost his wife. Then she took a portion. He gave money to his family. Two of his family members uh, were taking drugs. And because they had money, they bought more drugs. And they overdosed and they died. And his drunkenness, he would go into a bar and he would boast who he was. And then he would tell them, listen to this, and each one of my boots I have $100,000. And outside of my mortar home I have $500,000. You know, he was robbed several times. I wonder why. The man did not have peace. He did not have rest. He did not have quietness. And you know, in all the articles I've read about this man, not once does it say anything about God. Not once does it ever say anything about coming to saving grace because that's where he will find his rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Paul gives this greeting to the church at Philippi. And now let's go through verses 3 through 7. And Paul begins here, thanks, thankfulness and prayer for the church at Philippi. And again, we're looking at having confidence in Jesus Christ, having this assurance, this belief system, having this faith, this trust uh, in Christ Jesus. And then he speaks about the grace and the peace. Now, in verse 3, I thank my God and underline this upon every remembrance of you. He's speaking about uh, the church at Philippi. And I could just see Paul when he had his quiet time. When Paul wasn't writing letters uh, to the various churches. When Paul had his time of rest, he was thinking uh, of the church at Philippi. Now it's interesting, if you read all the uh, various churches that Paul had the opportunity through the Holy Spirit to start. Paul spent time in being thankful for the church at Thessalonica the church at Corinth, the church at Colossae, uh, the church at Galatia, or the churches at Galatia, the church of Ephesians that we just studied. And now, oh, Lord, I just thank you for uh, the church at Philippi. Upon every remembrance of you, uh, the church at Philippi. Now, the Philippians, Paul was humbled by them. The Philippians concerning their prayer for him, he knew that they prayed for him. And they prayed for the ministry. But Paul also knew that the finances that came uh, to him and the ministry there in Rome that came from the church at Philippi. And so now Paul would return the favor. Oh, I'm so thankful for everything. And in my thankfulness, I'm praying uh, for you. 
You see, when the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance, you see, I have the blessing of being the pastor of the church. And so a lot of times I don't know the names of the people, but God will put the face in front of me. And I used to struggle. Okay, what's going on with them? I better give them a call. Maybe they're, you know, you know what? God puts them in, in your presence. Pray for them. Pray for them. God wakes you up in the middle of the night and you see this brother, this sister, and your dream, you go, why did I wake up? I was in a dead sleep. Don't argue the point. Just pray. You know what? God will put you back to sleep. But you have to pray for that brother, that sister in Christ. And so Paul was put in remembrance of the saints at Philippi. You know, I have beautiful friends and acquaintances in various Calvaries here in the Southwest. Besides those that are in Southern California. And God will bring to your remembrance their situation. And you just pray. You don't need to know. Lord, I pray for them. And so I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then he goes on to explain it. Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests. I like that. For you all with joy. Now, somebody asked me if he was from, you know, Texas. I said, I don't know. For you all with joy. Listen to what Paul's saying in verse 4. When I pray for you, my request for you with all joy. Making requests. The translation here is I commit my prayers for you with all joy. The word joy, listen, with all gladness, with all cheerfulness, with all delightfulness, I pray for you. Can you see Paul's heart for the church at Philippi? And what would he pray for them? Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. Lord, meet all of their needs, Lord. Oh, Epaphroditus. He brings me this sum of money. I never asked for it, Lord. Bless him. Bless his family. Lord, every saint, I don't know who they were, but as Epaphroditus brought this bag of money, everybody that put money in it, Lord, bless them. Prosper them. Meet all of their needs, Lord. As I was studying this this week and getting prepared for it, God brought to my attention, those of you that were here, uh, just a couple of weeks back in September, the third week, we always have our Klein Park outreach over here uh, at, at the park, at Klein Park. And God brings to my remembrance all the people that partake, all the people that help. If you were there that day, there's a line of ladies that are, you know, just giving out the hot dogs and giving out um, the chips and the sodas and everything. And then there's the guys cooking. In fact, let me tell you about the guys that cook. They went home and they said for two days they smelled like hot dogs. <laughs> the dogs were all over them, man. But that's being servants of the Lord. But it goes beyond that. I know you guys serve. But... Let me share this with you. There's other churches that come. For many years, Calvary Chapel Downey uh, with Pastor Mark Basile, they come. Calvary Chapel Tucson, Bobby the Clown, uh, they come. People from Calvary Chapel El Paso, Calvary Chapel Oeste, Santa Teresa, Calvary Chapel Alamogordo, there was one, one couple that came. 
They were so stoked. They heard about it at the last minute that we were having this outreach. They just wanted to be here. And they just were, you know, serving. Calvary Chapel Deming always sends some people. But this year, Calvary Chapel Rio Doso, they're up in the mountains about three and a half hours from us. There's a sweet couple that were part of our church, and they used to go to Klein Park. And they called up and they said, hey, are you guys having Klein Park again? Yes, we are. What day? We want to go. And they drove all the way down. It was a blessing just to see them. And so God brings these to your remembrance, and you pray for them. You pray for them. I want you to turn with me. Go to the end of the New Testament. Go to Revelation, back up to Jude, and then one more book. Go to 3 John. So it's pretty much at the conclusion there. So you have 3 John, then you have Jude, and then you have the book of Revelation. John the Beloved had an Epaphroditus in his ministry. It was a brother by the name of Gaius. And so as Paul had this remembrance of Epaphroditus, uh, here's John having this remembrance of uh, Gaius. And there's always those servants, man. Uh, through the years, God has blessed us in this ministry. There's always somebody. There's always maybe a couple of people. It's not everybody. And, and don't feel embarrassed of that. But God calls certain people. And man, they become Gaiuses in our life. They become Timothys in our lives. Uh, they become uh, Epaphroditus in our lives. Servants. Bond servants. They're not asking for recognition. They just say, well, what do you want me to do? And so listen to what John writes here. And basically, 3 John is one chapter. And verse 1 through 4. And this is a greeting to this man, Gaius. And he begins in verse 1, the elder. So John's speaking of himself. He's the elder. John the beloved. And then he says this, this epistle here. To the beloved Gaius whom I love, and he's going to use this word throughout these four verses, who I love in truth. What truth? The truth of Christ. He says, Beloved, verse 2, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God bless this brother Gaius. As Paul prayed for Epaphroditus, God bless Epaphroditus. As Paul prayed for the other saints at Philippi, Lord, prosper them. Lord, make them healthy, Lord. You see, as we operate over here at Klein Park, it's gotten expensive. It's gotten big. And we're a small ministry, basically. And so I thank the Lord for those. There's businesses in our city that, that give. There's restaurants in our city that give for this Klein Park outreach. It's a blessing. Bobby the Clown will come. He works for a store in Tucson, and he tells his bosses, and they load up, you know, uh, hot dogs with him. And he brings them out from Tucson. That's a blessing. Yeah, you say, well, they can have, that's a write-off. No, it's a blessing to us. Lord, bless them. And that's what Paul's saying uh, about Epaphroditus. And here, John now, is what he's saying about this guy, Gaius. Look at verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified and here's that word again of truth that is in you just as you walk in truth my brother Gaius what a beautiful picture then he comes to the conclusion in verse 4 I have no greater joy remember the word joy I have no greater joy I have no greater gladness cheerfulness delightfulness towards you Gaius 
Paul had made that reference towards the church at Philippi. I rejoice greatly, uh, he says, because of you. I have no greater joy, verse 4, than to hear that my children walk, and here's that word again, in truth, the truth which is Christ. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of Christ that he is Messiah. And you know, again, it, it, it's so neat because we serve in the world, like it or not. I mean, we, we, we belong to bowling teams. We belong to baseball teams. We belong to bingo games. I mean, we do all these things, and we're servants to that. We don't realize it. And so we come to Christ. And we desire to be a servant of Christ, a diakonos. And then Paul says, there's another step. You can be a bondservant, a bondservant by choice. Imagine you desire to be a slave by choice. You know, people have a, tr a lot of trouble with that. Because the connotation of the word slave. Pastor Bob, I'm no slave to nobody. But I was a slave to drugs. I was a slave to alcohol. I was a slave to, you know, and just mark your sin. You could be a slave to lying. You could be a slave to cursing. And yet we don't want to be a slave to Christ. And so all we have to do is look at our past life. I have no greater joy. It blessed Paul's heart. It blessed John's heart here. He says, and to hear that my children walk in truth, the truth of Christ. Now let's go back to our text. And this verse, verse 5 now, it follows the idea that we read in verse 3. I'm reminded of your. Whatever they might have done, whatever you've done, I'm reminded of your. And for Paul, the church of Philippi, I'm reminded of your prayers for me. I'm reminded of your financial uh, generosity for me. So Paul had this relationship there. But look at verse 5. He says, now I'm reminded of, listen, for your fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the first day until now. Now, Paul goes back a long ways. It's estimated this is about seven, eight, maybe ten years after uh, Acts chapter uh, 16. For your fellowship. Now, the word fellowship is very important. This is where we draw the word communion. The word fellowship is koinonia uh, in the Greek, as in, implying of spiritual fellowship. Communion, not only their attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also to their readiness to continue in and through this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. And what else did it entail? Communion also entailed perseverance in this gospel. Also, their unity in this gospel, their affection among themselves to each other. That's the love in this gospel. And Paul says, from the first day... I met you. And he's talking about back in Acts chapter 16. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Paul's not speaking about communion, breaking bread, the partaking of the cup, as we see there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But he's speaking here about the communion. He says, for your communion in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me give you the significance of communion. You've been here in time past when we have communion at our church here. And the ushers will pass the element. We have a piece of bread. 
and then we have a, a cup of juice, and we read the scriptures, we pray, we have worship, and we're doing this in remembrance of Christ. But Paul is speaking here about communion in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let me explain to you communion. You see, to us, it's totally different. We come, we partake of the bread, we partake of the cup. But I want you to understand the times of Jesus, the times of the New Testament. When they partook of communion, you would go to their house, they would come to your house, and you would break bread together. So let's take a family of four. And then another family of four came over. And so now you got eight. And I don't want you to think of the table. They didn't have tables in those days. Uh, they would set out, you know, a tarp. They would set out, you know, the tablecloth, if you may. And then they had these big pillows. They called them couches, and they would lean back on them. The women would bring in a bowl of meat, usually lamb. Or they could have another bowl of meat, it was goat. And then you had your sauces. And then you had, uh, you know, your greens. And then there's this big pita bread. And then you would start, and I would tear off a piece, and then it would go around to the eight. And now you take uh, that piece of bread, maybe you break that in half, and then you put a piece of meat in it, and you begin to dip it into the sauces. Now, that's okay, but now you got eight people dipping, and you got kids dipping, and you've got some double dippers. <laughs> And you're going, whoa, what happened to communion? All of a sudden, I don't want to touch it. You ever been over here to uh, Sam's or Walmart, and, and they're offering little tidbits? And one day I'm going in there, and I say, oh, yeah, I want to try that. And thank God, this little kid went before me. And after what I saw him do there, I said, no, I don't need that. I'll go buy me a little package that's nice and sealed. I mean, this kid double dip and he put it in the tan in there. And so, imagine this. Now, we're so squeamish today, but let me share this. At communion table, breaking bread like this, the meat, the sauces, eight of you. Man, your DNA was going back and forth. No doubt about it. But it was koinonia, it was fellowship, it was oneness. Another translation, it was partnership. There's a crude translation. It was called intercourse. And that's what it was considered when you partook together. It's a hard word, but you have to understand the logic behind it at the communion table. So here we are this morning. We're not breaking bread. We're not partaking of the cup. But we're fellowshipping in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the good news. And we're taking each other. You know, I want this, I want that. Praise God. And God's speaking uh, to our hearts. And so listen to verse 5 again. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Oh, I love that. And so, again, can you see Paul's heart for the church at Philippi? Look at verse 6 now. Being confident, and this is where we look at our title this morning, having confidence in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, being confident of this very thing. 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times Christians, they make a true commitment to Christ. And they're doing good for months, sometimes years. But then all of a sudden something happens. And there's a little backsliding. There's a little apostasia. And all of a sudden they're not back in church. And all of a sudden, one week goes by, and then a month goes by, and then several months, and then they're embarrassed, they're afraid to come back to church. And that's a ripoff of the enemy. But Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the promise here, have this confidence. And listen to the word confidence. Church, have this assurance. Have this belief system. Have this trust. Have this faith. In this very thing. Listen. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't go around taking back his, your salvation. Ah, you blew it. Give me back my salvation. Oh, man. This is how God loves us. Listen, I've blown it and so have you. And we come back and we plead. And what does God say? Come on in. You know the story of the prodigal son? He took back his son that had squandered everything. He realized that he was eating the husks that were being offered to, to the swine, to the pigs, that he said, my dad's servants eat better than this. And he went back. Remember the brother? He was jealous because the dad saw the son, uh, the prodigal son coming back. The Bible says the son, the dad ran to the son, and he kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. And then he put a, a robe on him, and then he put a ring on him, and then he killed the fatted calf. The other son became uh, angry, envious, pride, all those things. But listen, church, be confident, be assured that if God's begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. What does he mean he's going to finish it? Either the rapture of the church is going to come for me or come for you, or you're going to go home to be with the Lord. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. It can happen to any one of us. And so we need to understand this. Now I want you to go to one more passage before we go to verse 7. Go with me to the book of Hebrews and go to chapter 12. Church, have this confidence. This is what Paul is telling the church at Philippi. Man, don't leave what God's given to you. And if you do falter, if you do fail, if you do fall, man, he's there to pick you up. Amen. Somebody asked me, is, is Jesus, is he the God of second chances? And I just smiled. They said, what are you smiling about? Well, the Jesus I know, he's the God of third. He's the God of fourth. He's the God of fifth. He's the God. Of, you want any more? You see, if I come back to Christ, you come back to Christ. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It is us that, you know, run away from him. It is us that sever the relationship. And that's why you're so miserable. And we have to come back. And when you come back, he touches your heart again and again. And you say, oh, thank you, Lord. Lord, forgive me. It's forgiven. It was forgiven at the cross 2,000 years ago. But look at Hebrews here. We're talking about having this confidence uh, in Jesus Christ. 
And so here, the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul the Apostle. There's those that will argue. Let's give it the benefit of the doubt. It's the Holy Spirit. And the title here, the, the first few verses, the race of faith. The race of faith. Now be careful that you want to win the race. Here's the key of the race for faith. Finish the race. Finish the race. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. I like that, that the race marked out for us, run with perseverance. Don't worry about winning. Worry about finishing the race. Finish the race. I told you the story. There was a sweet lady in our church. She's no longer here. They moved on. And we've been teaching on the rapture of the church. And she started thinking. She goes, Pastor Bob ain't going to make it, man. He's too big. The rapture, he's going to go, and so she has this dream, and she says she starts praying for me, and the next day, she has another dream, and in the dream, I'm doing circles around her, and I'm going, Kathy, come on, catch up, the rapture, let's go, and she's like chugging along. She says, you were flying so fast. I told her I had my PF flyers on. No. <laughs> But listen to verse 2 now. If you've ever done any backsliding, it's right here that you need to know. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Underline that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Not on man. Not in a movement. Not in a denomination or a non-denomination. But fix your eyes on Christ. And then he tells you why. Because he's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that when Jesus went to heaven, his ascension, we know his death, his burial, his third day, the resurrection, 40-day post that he was, you know, ate bread, partook of honeycomb, fish. They saw him for 40 days and then the ascension. The Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he makes intercession for me. He makes intercession for you. He prays for me. He prays for you. When you blow it, the enemy's there to say, hey, look what Bob did. The Bible says that he's my lawyer for my defense. And he says, Father, he's one of mine. And I says, thank you, Lord. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus Remember, he's the author and finisher of faith. Why? Because he paid the price, the full price at the cross. And then he comes to the conclusion, verse 3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Church, Jesus paid the full price for you, paid the full price for me. Don't fret, don't worry. Don't get frustrated. Did I lose my salvation? Did God take away my salvation? That's not what my scripture says. If you've truly come to saving grace. Now, let's go back to the conclusion of our text, verse 7. And he says, just as it is right for me to think this of you. Paul's still dealing with the church at Philippi. Because I have you in my heart. 
Listen to Paul's compassion. In as much as both in my chains, he was in prison in Rome. And then I like these two words. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are all partakers with me of grace. Not Paul's grace. But Paul says, I have grace, you have grace. That's the beauty of it all. It was right uh, for Paul to think of them in this way because he had uh, them in his heart. This bond of affection is made evident by their partnership with him, both in prison and out of prison. And what about the finances that they sent to Paul? And Paul just, remember, he never asked for finances from them. I think every time he saw Epaphroditus, Paul just went, oh, man. What a church at Philippi. Because, see, there's always widows and orphans. And Jesus spoke of the widow that gives her last mites. And so praise God. But there's two words here that actually are law words. They're laws that bring these two words together. The word defense, we see it in the Greek, it's apologia. And the word confirmation, these were legal terms. The word is deboiosis, if I'm saying it right, in the Greek. They were partakers with him in the grace of God, not of his grace, but in the grace of God, in the suffering of Christ's special favor of God for the people. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for the Philippians. But look at these two words, the word defense and the word confirmation. The best way to describe this, they were legal terms, but let me give you two verses. I'm going to read them to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 speaks of this word defense. Peter writes and he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. The word is apologia. To every man who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That what Paul did with the church at Philippi and what the church and what the Philippians were doing, uh, it, it was their faith. It was Paul's faith. And man, the defense of the gospel. Paul brought the gospel to them and they took the gospel uh, to others. This is the word defense. And so we're called to defend the gospel. We're called to share what God's done in my life, what's do, what he's done in your life. That's the word apologetics, the word apologia. And you know what happens, church? Fear sets in. Another word that sets in? Embarrassment. I fear rejection. I fear embarrassment. I know if I share with them, they're going to reject me. And then I'm going to be embarrassed. They're going to turn around, oh, look what George is saying. That I need Jesus. Oh, I've been there, man. I've been there. You want to give them a track and, you know, they uh, say something derogatory? You tell them you're praying for them and then they curse at you? I mean, uh, remember this, church. It is not you or me that they're rejecting. It's Christ that they're rejecting. Now the word confirmation, he speaks about the defense of the gospel. Now he speaks of the confirmation of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, let me just read it to you. He says in verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end 
He who has begun a good work in you is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, you're going to stand there and the, the blood of the Lamb has covered you. You're set free. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're a saint. We studied that earlier. Look at verse 9. I want to just read it. God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship, the word koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I come to saving grace. He gives me his grace, unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. That's not carte blanche to go sin. There has to be change. There has to be transformation. There has to be this metamorphosis. There has to be this about face. I was going that way in sin. Now i got to go the opposite way. And yet I'm going to fall. I'm going to falter. But yet I have an advocate. I have a lawyer for my defense. And it's the Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Have this confidence, this assurance in Christ. Not in man, not even in Calvary Chapel, not in Pastor Bob, but in Jesus Christ. Have this assurance. we got so much more. This beautiful book is powerful. I would encourage you, you're going to be coming to hear the Philippian studies. Read the book of Philippians. Go back and read it again. Get an NIV, get an NASV, get a New Living Translation. Read it, read it, read it, and watch the Holy Spirit come. And minister to your hearts. You'll be ready. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, your beautiful saints here. As Paul was reminded of the saints at Philippi. I'm reminded of the saints here at Calvary Chapel, Las Cruces. I'm reminded of all those that work so diligently. I'm reminded of those that give so diligently. I'm reminded of those that I know are praying for us. Lord, it, it strengthens my heart as it blessed Paul's heart. And Father, I ask you to bless your people, Lord. There's those that get our, our CDs in uh, other parts of the United States. They go all over. We have a lady in Canada that gets these uh, teachings. Lord, bless all of these saints. Bless them, Lord. Bless them in their health. Bless them. Prosper them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. And use them for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and we all agree by saying amen.